Welcome to FYI, the four-year innovation podcast. This show offers an intellectual discussion on technologically enabled disruption, because investing in innovation starts with understanding it. To learn more, visit arc-invest.com. Arc Invest is a registered investment advisor focused on investing in disruptive innovation. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by Arc. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by Arc or podcast guests and are not endorsements or recommendations by Arc to buy, sell, or hold any security. Clients of Arc Investment Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. This week, I talked to Nick Gruss, the latest analyst to join the internet team at Arc. Nick, how are you doing today? Good, James. How are you? Hey, good. I thought we'll take this chance on the dawn of kind of Disney Plus launching and, of course, Apple TV Plus launching just to take a snapshot of where we are with internet media. Everyone is talking about streaming wars, and it, it's, it sounds like this new war. But really, the, I think the opening shots were fired in 2007 when Netflix introduced streaming for the first time on its service. Prior to that, it was basically a mail DVDs through the envelope kind of a business. You have started kind of re-looking at our models, especially in the light of all this new competition. What do you think is happening in the market? What's interesting? Um, and how is Disney doing with its, uh, with its launch? Yeah, I think you, uh, you said it correctly in that Netflix really started this way back in 2007 when they were the first, really the first, you know, player in the space of streaming. And it's just until now, until these, you know, last few years, really, that you're starting to see viable competitors. And really in the last few months that competitors now have enough ammunition to really go after Netflix and stake their flag into the streaming space. Um, you know, you had Apple spending or will be spending a couple billion dollars on content over the coming years. Disney coming in with a huge library of content with Lucasfilms, Fox, Marvel, Pixar, and everything else that Disney has to offer. And, you know, Disney Plus has launched. And on the first day, 10 million subs, huge number day one. And so, you know, what this really means is that Netflix now has competitors. Before they really were the undisputed king, um, now they have true competitors in the space. Why has it taken the industry 12 years to respond in any serious way to Netflix? I mean, we've had Hulu, but it, it was really a kind of more of a TV series kind of a, a competitor. It wasn't anything on the scale of Netflix, never been profitable. Um, why has it taken so long for competition to arrive? Yeah, the holdout of some of these companies waiting so long to get into streaming when Netflix was showing that this is a viable business, um, that you can get over 150 million subs. Uh, Netflix right now has 158 globally. Um, and it, it actually is amazing that we had to wait this long to see very, you know, very strong competitors come out. I think a lot of them had to get their ducks in a row. There are legacy businesses that they still have to take care of. That's their core business. Um, whether that's cable, whether that's theatrical releases like Disney, you can't just cut those off and, and start a streaming service. You have to build. And that's what we've seen. Disney over the years has made huge acquisitions. Fox, Marvel, Pixar. Look at Comcast and the merger with NBC. Now they're launching Peacock, their own independent streaming service. CBS and Viacom. Now CBS has all access. Viacom now has Pluto TV. And then you have AT&T and Time Warner 
And now you have HBO Max coming out of that, as well as AT&T's own ad-supported channel. So the reason that it's taken this long is because these companies have had to really support their legacy businesses and set themselves up to be able to essentially undercut those with the streaming service. It is really it reminds me of just classic um, Clay Christensen style disruption. I mean, his book, he just described example after example of a large, the incumbent companies that should be te- that are 10x larger than the, the startups, but can't respond because they are, have a lucrative existing business they have to protect. It's amazing for 12 years. I think for the first half of those 12 years, nobody believed this was going to be a business in the first place. Uh, then later on, as Netflix grew and its market cap started basically approaching these legacy uh, entertainment companies, um, everyone started paying attention. And it's funny that the strategy, all of them that they've responded with is mergers and acquisitions. I, I can't imagine how much fees the lawyers and bankers have made um, just from M&A, especially the Viacom CBS marriage and divorce and remarriage story. Every, you mentioned a bunch of names. What, what struck me is every single legacy player has had to do a, a major merger or acquisition to support their future plans. Yeah. It's, it's not clear to me why they have to do that. It's not clear that by doing that, it will be sufficient. But um, it, it seems like their logic is that they need a, some kind of scale for content for this to work. And that's why they're doing it. Do you think this makes sense? In certain circumstances, it does, right? I think for Disney, it makes a ton of sense that they went out and, and essentially did this land grab of of available content. And they've grown these smaller brand names that at the time when they had purchased them were, weren't as big as they are now. Like think about what Disney has done with Marvel, right? They've turned a few superheroes into this universe that now grosses billions of dollars at the box office. And they've had hit after hit after hit. They've done the same with Pixar, and they've done the same with bringing back Star Wars and remaking all of these movies. So in certain circumstances, I think it makes a ton of sense, Disney especially. But when you look at Comcast, NBC, or CBS, and and Viacom, you know, these are legacy players getting into a new space, and and that really hasn't fleshed out yet. We don't know what's going to come of those, because it, it hasn't really affected the streaming space, and it hasn't really affected the legacy linear TV space. A lot of these names also strike me as very U.S. centric. You know, I grew up in Australia, and um, these are basically no one's in Australia has heard of Viacom. They they might have watched some cartoons, but all the brands are different, all the channels are different. Um, one thing that strikes me very different about the market that is emerging and the one that we've had in the cable era is that prior to the internet, over the top market, every all these media markets were geographically local. They were one on a per country or per regional basis, North America, Europe, um, you know, China, Hong Kong. These were all very, you have regional winners. There are no global winners. Because of the internet being global in nature, um, with China kind of being out of it in, in, in many cases, whoever emerges is going to be a global winner. And how far is Netflix in for this battle? And, and how would you compare them to kind of progress for everyone else? Look, Netflix is far and away the leader in the space. They have the existing user base. They've been growing globally. They're able to produce content that not only is localized in in Europe, but then they can then scale to the U.S. And that's never really been the case before. Usually the U.S. is is one of the only markets where they've actually been able to export media globally. Um, But Netflix has really taken down those barriers. Like think about Money Heist. That's their 
biggest international show, that has reached over 25% of all of Netflix's subs. So, you know, they have 158 million, that's reached roughly 25%. And that was in the first four weeks of the of, of launching Money Heist, which is incredible. And subscriber scale, we're talking basically about 160 million-ish for Netflix. And Disney Plus is now at 10, but everyone else is basically... You know, very low. It, 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 the only other player that you can really say has a, a really strong user base is Hulu. Hulu has roughly 28 million, but you know, you look at but that's also US only, right? That's also yes, right, US only. So this just this global scale thing, I think, just really strikes me as the, the distance between Netflix and like basically everyone else combined is not you know one fifth of Netflix. Um, it's quite striking. But if you even think about what Netflix has had to done to get to that global scale, they've done a similar type of strategy that Disney and Comcast have done with going into these countries and and essentially partnering with local, uh, you know, content producers and then claiming that as Netflix originals. Right. They've had to go out and grab initial content to build up a library that would actually attract users in, in Europe, in, in India, and, and wherever else they're, they're headed. So obviously, our research is very much focused on disruption cycles and, and technology epochs changing. It seems like the theme here is basically the global transition from cable and broadcast to over the top through the Internet. What are the key findings of your research? How do you size or approach this market? So I think it's important to really split it into two. Uh, you have ad-supported and then SVOD, which is your subscription video on demand. So that's going to be your service like Netflix that you pay maybe $9.99 a month for. The ad-supported market is something that usually doesn't get lumped into the streaming wars. A lot of people forget that, you know, you have services that really rely on advertising. But when you look at the market globally, you have $180 billion in linear TV ad spend. Only about 3% has now come into OTT services. So that's going to be your ad-supported Hulu service. So there's a huge opportunity there for ad-supported services to really grow revenue and grow users. So, you know, it's not going to be that everyone watches subscription video on demand. There is going to be that long tail of content that is ad-supported. Uh, you see that, and, and a company that talks about this a lot is Roku. They're essentially a TV operating system, and they're a very neutral player in the entire streaming wars. Um, and their view, and this has been said on past calls, is that you know there is not going to be a single winner in this streaming wars. There will be many winners, and one of those is ad-supported TV channels in general. So if you think about it, 3% of this $180 billion global advertising spend is, equates to about $6 billion today. And we think that can grow to roughly forty billion by twenty twenty four. So you know a lot of opportunity in the ad supported space that a lot of companies can step into. And then when you think about what people commonly refer to in the streaming wars, these SVODs. So that's going to be your Apple TV Plus, your Amazon Prime Video, Disney Plus, Netflix. You know that market is going to be even bigger. This is the um, premium subscriptions. Right. This is your premium subscriptions. So if you think about what a cable TV subscription costs an average um, U.S. household, it's roughly around, you know, $100, It's in that range. And there's about 85 million households in the U.S. today that have some form of pay TV. We think that that's going to come down to roughly 50 million 
by 2024. And that's driven by like generational change? This is a very big generational shift, right? Think about someone in their 20s to 30s that's grown up with the streaming service of Netflix. They've, that's what they're used to. That's their main form of content consumption. That is going to change their viewing habits as they get, you know, age into and buy their first home. They're not going to run out and get a cable subscription day one. They're going to go out and lock down Disney Plus. They're going to go down, lock down Netflix. And that's going to be their primary form of consumption. And the biggest holdout, not to sound totally gun-ho, yeah, <laughs> gun-ho here, um, there is still a big holdout for cable TV subscribers. And that's coming from live TV or live sports and live news. You know, that is still a very attractive option. Some for, people just want to watch an afternoon of football or just have CNN on the background or Fox for that matter. Right. And that's the easiest way instead of going out and grabbing all of these different kind of specialized subscription packages that exist today. So, you know, we think this 85 million households of cable or pay TV subscribers is going to come down to 50 million. So that translates to roughly 108 million in revenue today. Uh, billion in revenue? 108 billion in revenue today for pay TV coming down to about 65 billion in 2024. Okay. So over the next five years, um, your view is U.S. cable revenues will, will drop by about half. Right, mm-hmm. right. And, you know, the opposite can be said for subscription video on demand. If you think about, you know, the average household, they have roughly today three to four services. They're watching roughly three to four services. And that doesn't even, you, and, and that's with the limited amount that we have now. And we're about to get a whole lot more, right? You have Disney, Apple, HBO all launching and have launched, right, within the last month. And and this year is stacked when you think of how many subscription services are coming. Um, So we think that number, you know, is going to stay in the three to four range, um, but the user base is going to grow. And so you're you're talking about roughly $14 billion in SVOD today, growing to about $51 billion in 2024. And that's just U.S. as well. And that's just U.S. as well. Okay. So we have basically the traditional business uh, imploding by by about 50%. And the, the new business with all these new offerings coming online in, in addition to Netflix, basically more than tripling the revenues uh, available for, for premium subscriptions. That's, that's quite a change in five years. Yes. And I think that the underlying tailwinds are there. Everyone is excited for these new services. I mean, just look at Disney on day one, 10 million. And they've only launched in the US, Canada, and I believe the Netherlands. And it was November 19th that they actually launched in Australia and a few other countries. Do you think, I mean, I can see why Disney has been very successful. They have just uh, such a unique set of content and and it's it's so family friendly. Um, Do you think these other three companies with their conglomerates um, will succeed or or reach kind of escape velocity? How many subscribers do you think they need to really for their business models to work? And can they get there? That's a great question, but I think it's a, a tough one to answer because success is going to be defined differently for each of these companies, right? To to say what defines success for Disney Plus, is it 100 million subs? Is it 50 million subs? Do they just need to cover cost and eventually just bring in new users that they then go and on-sell cruises to, right? It's it's very hard to define success for these companies. Um, and especially for some of these smaller, you know, Comcast and CBS, not that they're small, but 
their streaming services are not going to gain that attraction day one. They just don't have the content. Um, they don't have the brand recognition. Um, so it's hard to say what really will define success. I, I think you're being generous. If I were, if I were just thinking about, well, what means success? Let's just let's just say success means you're able to maintain your your current share value from a yeah. from a kind of investor <laughs> perspective. Yeah. Um, if I'm one of these folks, um, you know, if I'm CBS, Viacom, or Comcast, NBC. So much of the revenue is coming from traditional pay TV right now, right? And that's come that comes in a bundle that serves 85 million American households that most people don't even have a choice of opting out on. And once we make this transition to streaming on demand with with more than one offering beside Netflix, uh, people are going to um, be very selective about this, and uh, it's not it's going to be very optional, not mandatory to to participate in their services. Um, so the amount of households I think these companies can reach could 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 fall by by you know to a quarter to to maybe a fifth of what they currently reach for just the cable aspect. Mm-hmm. I think it's very so far it seems very difficult for them to gain to gain online subscribers. Right. CBS All Access is at like five million subs, and they've been at it for a few years now. Yeah. Um, and and these brands don't really have genuine I think brand value outside the U.S. I don't think you're going to be selling anyone a CBS All Access things in you know Brazil or something. Right. So they don't really quite work in the same way as a global brand. You know, Kathy always talks about, you know, within the S&P 500, their disruptors will go, will take a lot of market share, but there are also a lot of value traps. I think a lot of these, some of these folks and some of off these four companies, um, I think there could be a lot of blood to be, to be let out. You bring up a good point here. And I think maybe there's two different camps we should be talking about. You have these linear players that are now Linear in in the sense of TV players, so that's your CBS, you know, Viacom, NBC, AT and T that 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 need that existing business to keep revenues coming in while they build up the streaming service, and then the streaming service is going to at some point have to pick up the pace of what we just said of all of these households dropping off and cutting the cords, and then there's this other camp that's going to be your Apple, Amazon, and, and Disney that are really using this content to bring in people into their own ecosystems, right? Apple at the end of the day sells iPhones and and laptops, right? And and Amazon is an e-commerce company. And so their their thought process is if we can get them onto our streaming service, well maybe then they'll go and buy Amazon Prime and they'll become a Prime member and then they'll shop on Amazon. So it it, it there's different end games I think for these two different camps and that's something that I think people need to understand because some will lose and some will, you know, this is just a, a way to gain new users and bring them into an ecosystem that's beyond just streaming. That's a great point. Every company has adjacent businesses and they're they're trying to basically do what makes sense for the company as a whole. Like Disney, I think people have talked about offering um, not just a TV bundle, but a Disney bundle, like including parks and, and, and things like that. Uh, that could be very compelling. Right. Just to close off, your thoughts, uh, Disney Plus prospects, subscribers, maybe a year from now? I think maybe I I'm, I may have too bullish of a, a view on this because I did sign up for Disney on day one. Um, I think that, you know, the offer that Disney has with the $12.99 deal, that's Disney Plus, Hulu, the ad-supported version of Hulu, and ESPN Plus, I think that's a no-brainer. For, for most people, especially because it's one of the only bundles today that has this live sports aspect. I think, you know, maybe Amazon Prime with they have a deal with the NFL Network to stream some of the Thursday night games. 
but and they have some other kind of long tail content for for sports but this is really the first bundle that really cuts into both movies tv and live sports and as we said before live sports is something that a lot of households are are holding on to and a reason that many still have cable today so you know a year from now i think Disney has said, and let me just let, let's put this in the context. Disney has said by 2025 they want 60 to 90 million subs. I think that there will be far surpass that by 2025, and at a minimum, maybe you see half of. I would say bare minimum 30 million a year from now. A year from now. Wow. Okay, that's the word from Nick. I, I'm looking forward to uh, to check out back with you in a year. I'm sure we'll speak before then. Um, but in the meantime, happy streaming. Happy streaming, everyone. ARC believes that the information presented is accurate and was obtained from sources that ARC believes to be reliable. However, ARC does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information, and such information may be subject to change without notice from ARC. Historical results are not indications of future results. Certain of the statements contained in this podcast may be statements of future expectations and other forward-looking statements that are based on ARC's current views and assumptions, and involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results, performance, or events to differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements.